On September 26, 1956, Melvin Douglas was starring as Clarence Darrow in the stage production of Inherit the Wind by Jerome Lawrence and Robert E. Lee. Tyrone Power and Kim Novak were starring on motion picture screens in the Eddie Duchin story. The Brooklyn Dodgers and Milwaukee Braves were battling for the National League pennant and a spot in the World Series against the New York Yankees. Bob and Ray, Truth or Consequences, Gangbusters, One Man's Family, and X-1 were all heard on Cleveland radio station WHK. And the highlight of the television schedule was the United States Steel Hour, featuring Paul Newman and George Ann Johnson in Bang the Drum Slowly, written by Mark Harris, adapted for television by Arnold Shulman, and directed by Daniel Petrie. Where Have You Gone, Mark Harris? Welcome to Where Have You Gone? People, places, and things that are gone but not forgotten, forgotten but not gone, and the people and places saving these stories for your enjoyment and benefit today. I'm Morris Eckhaus. Mark Harris was born on November 19, 1922, with the name Mark Harris Finkelstein. He died on May 30, 2007. His first novel was published in 1946. Bang the Drum Slowly was published in 1956, after The Southpaw in 1953. There's a baseball card set called Major League Writers, and it calls the Henry Wiggin Tetralogy, quote, the greatest achievement in the canon of baseball fiction, unquote. Mark Harris's place in the canon of baseball literature is obvious, but variety of his writing is not as obvious. His card in the Major League Writers set says, Mark Harris is a major American novelist with 12 novels to his credit. Beyond baseball, City of Discontent was written by Mark Harris in 1952. The subtitle of the book is An Interpretive Biography of Vachel Lindsay, being also the story of Springfield, Illinois, USA, and that of the love of the poet for that city, that state, and that nation. Lindsay lived from 1879 to 1931. He was born and died in Springfield, and the Vachel Lindsay House is a National Historic Site. Bang the Drum Slowly has been adapted several times, including the 1973 film starring Robert De Niro and Michael Moriarty. Mark Harris wrote the screenplay for the film. It came out at a time when few baseball films were being made. The director was John D. Hancock, and his directing credits include five segments of the 1985 to 1989 incarnation of The Twilight Zone. One of the stars of the film was Danny Aiello in one of his earliest screen roles. Danny Aiello subsequently appeared in The Purple Rose of Cairo, the Woody Allen film in 1985, Radio Days, Moonstruck, and Do the Right Thing. 
He was nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for Do the Right Thing. He was in four films with Robert De Niro, and he is reportedly the uncle of New York Yankees play-by-play man Michael Kay. I'm also going to take a moment here to talk about Del Bethel. If you watch the film version of Bang the Drum Slowly closely, you will see Del Bethel in the third base coach's box for the Mammoths, the New York team. You'll also see him in the credits as the baseball technical advisor on the film. Dell was a Sabre member and a member of the Jack Graney chapter of Sabre. That's the Greater Cleveland chapter. He was the author of the baseball instructional book, Inside Baseball. He died in 2008, and he is gone, but not forgotten. And he was one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. I have a book in my hand titled The Self-Made Brain Surgeon and Other Stories by Mark Harris with an introduction by John Sergal. It was published by Bison Books. That's an imprint of the University of Nebraska Press. It was published in 1999. It was purchased in 2019 at the Strand Bookstore in the lower Manhattan area of New York City, 828 Broadway at the corner of 12th and Broadway to be specific. Strand Bookstore is not gone and it's not forgotten. It's a vital and vibrant literary landmark, but Book Row is gone but not forgotten or forgotten but not gone. There's a wonderful book about Book Row, titled Book Row, by Marvin Mondlin and Roy Medor. It appears to have no reference at all to Mark Harris, so let me get back to the self-made brain surgeon. The back cover of the book reads that these 13 short stories represent Mark Harris's distinguished work in this genre from 1946 to 1993. They were undertaken at a time when the author was becoming famous as a novelist for such triumphs as Bang the Drum Slowly and The Southpaw. Although Harris loves and writes tellingly about the pleasures of baseball, his primary subject has always been the human condition and the shifts of mortal men and women as they try to understand and survive what life has dealt them. While baseball is virtually absent from the stories in this collection, Harris's gift for the wry appreciation of human variety is never lacking. The pleasure we take in these stories reminds us why Harris ranks as one of this age's most perceptive and satisfying writers. We will dig deeper into the work and works of Mark Harris when Where Have You Gone, Mark Harris continues. We hope you are enjoying this episode of Where Have You Gone? For more information about the show, its topics, and its guests, check out our website at whygpodcast.com. There you can also find recommendations for fascinating books, films, TV shows, and recordings to learn even more about our topics, guests, and ideas. You can also find us on Facebook at Where Have You Gone Podcast 
and on Twitter at WHYG Podcast. And now, back to the episode. One way to address the writing of Mark Harris is to separate his baseball work from his other work. Most prominent among his baseball works are the four baseball-themed novels, The Southpaw from 1953, Bang the Drum Slowly from 1956, A Ticket for a Seamstitch from 1957, and It Looked Like Forever from 1979. Each novel is narrated by the character Henry Wiggin. By the time Harris had started the baseball novels, he had already written Trumpet to the World, published in 1946, and his novelized biography of Vachel Lindsay, City of Discontent, published in 1952. The first baseball novel, The Southpaw, tells the fictional story of Wiggin's early years in baseball up to his debut with the fictional New York Mammoth when he leads the team to a world's championship in 1952. The story continues with Bang the Drum Slowly, narrated again by Wigan. The story also focuses on his relationship with his catcher, Bruce Pearson. Pearson's a not-too-bright Southerner, a not-too-great catcher, and an easy target for his teammates. As the story unfolds, it becomes less and less of a secret that Pearson has a terminal case of leukemia. Championed by Wigan... Pearson remains with the team, and his teammates rally around him. The Mammoths reach the World Series again, but Pearson is sent home before the series and dies soon after. Some of the backstory to A Ticket for a Seamstitch can be found in Harris's essay, Easy Does It Not, and the essay can be found in short work of it. Selected writing by Mark Harris, published by the University of Pittsburgh Press in 1979. Harris taught at the University of Pittsburgh from 1976 to 1980. Harris began the story as an article to be published in Life magazine. The plot concerns a young lady who has written to Wigan and intends to travel from the West to visit him in New York on the 4th of July in 1956. Since Wigan's married, he tries to transfer the young lady's affection from him to Piney Woods, who shared catching duties with Bruce Pearson in Bang the Drum Slowly. A ticket for a seamstitch outgrew magazine article size. It never did appear in Life magazine, coming to fruition instead as a novel. Harris went back to the well with Henry Wigan one more time, more than 20 years after a ticket for a seamstitch, with It Looked Like Forever. By then, Wigan had 247 Major League Baseball victories, tied with Iron Man Joe McGinnity and John Powell, two nonfiction pitchers, on the all-time wins list. Wigan had been released by the Mammoths, and the last of the Wigan novels chronicles a familiar story of a professional athlete seeking one more moment of glory or even just the continuation of athletic competition in a young man's game. Henry Wigan first went beyond ink on a page in the United States Steel Hour, featuring Paul Newman as Wigan, Albert Salmi as Bruce Pearson, Rudy Bond as Dutch, George Papard as Piney Woods, and George Ann Johnson as Wigan's wife, Holly. Harris's novel was adapted for television by Arnold Schulman and directed by Daniel Petrie. That presentation is available today, thanks to the Criterion Collection, and its three-DVD set, The Golden Age of Television. 
Bang the Drum Slowly came to the big screen in a 1973 film directed by John D. Hancock. Harris wrote the screenplay. The cast includes Michael Moriarty as Henry Wigan, Robert De Niro as Bruce Pearson, Vincent Gardenia as Dutch in an Oscar-nominated performance, Heather McRae as Holly, and in his first credited film role, Danny Aiello as Horse, the first baseman. On the Robert De Niro filmography, Bang the Drum Slowly comes immediately before Mean Streets, The Godfather Part Two, and Taxi Driver, three films that took De Niro into superstar status where he has remained ever since. L.A. Theater Works has adapted the first two Henry Wiggins stories. Bang the Drum Slowly came first in 1992, adapted by and directed by Eric Simonson. It has a cast including Ed Begley Jr. as Bruce Pearson, Harry Shearer as Dutch Snell, and Jonathan Silverman as Henry Wiggin. The Southpaw followed in 1995. It was also adapted and directed by Simonson, with Ed Asner as Dutch Snell, Kate Asner as Holly, and Eric Winsenreed as Henry Wiggin. Diamond, Baseball Writings of Mark Harris, was published by Donald I. Fine, Inc. in the mid-1990s. It includes 21 articles written as early as 1958 or earlier, and as late as 1993, and the entire screenplay of the film version of Bang the Drum Slowly. There are seven quotes on the back cover of the book, I especially like the one credited to Peter C. Bjarkman, Sports Illustrated. More than most things, baseball is a symbolic representation of America. Mark Harris is the pioneer. He gave legitimacy to the field with his stature as a novelist. If you're a baseball fan, there's plenty to enjoy from Mark Harris if you're new to his work or if you choose to pay it another visit. I mentioned earlier that Mark Harris taught at the University of Pittsburgh in 1979. That was the last year, to date, that the Pittsburgh Pirates went to and won the World Series. Mark taught at the University of Southern California 1973 to 1975, and the USC Baseball Trojans won the College World Series in two of those years, 1973 and 1974. Mark taught at Arizona State University from 1980 to 2001. ASU won its fifth and last College World Series up to now in 1981. And the Arizona Diamondbacks, playing about 12 miles west of the ASU campus, won the first and only World Series to date in franchise history in just its fourth season in 2001. Is it just a coincidence that Mark Harris was around so much championship baseball or something more? If you're looking for something more than baseball or other than baseball, stay tuned. I'll be joined by John Sergal, Emmy-winning writer, director, and television producer to talk about the baseball and non-baseball work of Mark Harris. For more information about Where Have You Gone, 
this episode and other episodes in the series, visit our website, whygpodcast.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening. John Sergal created the NBC series Muggsy and the animated PBS series The Big Game Hunt, starring James Earl Jones, collaborated for decades with famed puppeteer Sherry Lewis, has written for Partisan Review, National Lampoon, Evergreen Review, and a stack of scholarly journals, was editor-in-chief of Laugh Factory magazine, served as artistic director of Theater on the Rocks, and the Chamber Theater program of the Manhattan Theater Club, authored the classic children's book, Have You Seen My Dinosaur? Holds a Ph.D. from Columbia University and has taught literature at colleges throughout New York and New England. John, welcome to Where Have You Gone, Mark Harris. It's a pleasure to be with you, Morris, and, uh, and I hope we can, uh, we can determine just exactly where Mark has gone. Well, I I hope so. And I connected you to Mark Harris through the self-made brain surgeon and other stories, Mark's last book. And on the back of the edition I'm looking at, it says, your father introduced you to baseball and the work of Mark Harris. How did that happen? Well, uh, my father was also a writer, and uh, and uh, baseball was uh, was the bridge between us. Things weren't always uh, all that easy between us, and uh, he would take me to ball games. Uh, it was it was the one source of unfrictioned belonging that we shared. And uh, and one day he uh, he tossed me a copy of the Southpaw, and he said, "Here's a guy who writes incredibly well, but uh, apparently he only writes about baseball." Well. <laughs> I made it my young life's practice from that point on to seek out old editions of all of Mark's book. And, of course, he wrote about many things. He wrote about uh, a plethora of them. But that was my introduction to him as, uh, as a baseball writer, as it is for most of his readers. But there's a great deal coming to them if they investigate further. And and around when was this? Oh, gosh. Um uh, this was uh, uh, so much, <laughs> so much more than I care to than I than I care to admit to. Right. But, uh, but I, I I I do believe that the Dodgers were already out of Brooklyn. Let's put it that way. Okay. So we're we're talking about and, maybe and the late... Giants because because uh-huh. Mark Mark was Mark was as crushed by that as I was about the Dodgers. Uh, late fifties, early sixties. Probably in the sixties. Okay, yes. so uh, I'm I'm going to say, and if, if if you think I'm misstating this, but I'm going to say, still fairly early in Mark's writing career. Well, he had uh, he had done already one of the Lee Youngdahl books. That's his other sports nexus. Uh, mm-hmm. The uh, uh, Lee Youngdahl, the uh, the. English professor who used to be the Ogden Desert Rat, the fighter. So he uh, he was an equal opportunity sports enthusiast. But I'd like to point out that the profession that all of Mark's protagonists share, save only one, is not sports. It's writing. Mm-hmm. All of his main characters are writers. The only other person who has written that many books with uh, with main character being a writer, I think, is John Irving. 
That's very interesting. So you had been exposed to the work of Mark Harris. How did you become friends with Mark Harris? By the time, uh, by the time I was uh, a uh, arguably an adult, uh, I, I became uh, obsessed with this little gem of a book that Mark wrote called Something About a Soldier. Yes. Just a delightful book and um, a daring book because it, it uh, takes as its subject somebody who during World War II, not Vietnam, uh, who, uh, who actually becomes disenchanted with the, uh, with the military and bugs out and, uh, and goes uh, over the proverbial hill. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and as a matter of fact, for those who wonder, uh, well, is there no punishment for this, uh, for this character? There's not punishment, but uh, something missing in his life as a result. He's the only protagonist who doesn't become a writer. He becomes a teacher. And Mark was a teacher. Uh, Mark spent quite a bit of his career in academia. Do you Something have else a... we shared. Okay. And, and did that affect him positively, negatively, a little bit of both? Well, we, we talked about this because a lot of writers are given to the prejudice that you either write or you teach. It's a canard, uh, but it's a very popular canard. And uh, I'm very lucky to have had Mark's uh, example uh, <laughs> to, to tell me that teaching does not disqualify me from, uh, from what, I, what, I, what I do for a real living. I mentioned the self-made brain surgeon and other stories. You wrote the introduction. Did you have participation beyond that? Did you help with the selection of the stories at all, or was that all Mark's uh, choice? Well, the selection was made uh, primarily by the uh, the lovely young people at the um, uh, University of Nebraska Press. They handed me not even uh, not even a uh, <laughs> not even galleys. They were they were just uh, old copies of uh, wherever these had been published first. Mm-hmm. And I went through them, and um, Mark was uh, content to let the uh, uh, compliments fall where they might. I didn't have any uh, direction. I was given no uh, don't say this, no do say that. And it was ultimately a tremendous honor, and we didn't know it was going to be his last book. Mm -hmm. Uh, But given that it was, I feel that I'd been anointed. Sure. And w- do you think it was more Mark's decision or the or the folks at the press wanting to have a collection that focused on Mark's non-baseball writing? Well, he'd done it before. He'd done a short work of it was a, a collection. And yes. uh, he certainly knew uh, that he was uh, primarily known as the guy who wrote the Henry Wiggin books. It didn't trouble him too much, but uh, he did like to plump for some of his other, uh, some of his other darlings. Some of these quite extraordinary books, the Lee Youngdahl books, which are both both epistolary novels, are a delight. They're as uh, outrageous as uh, Kingsley Amos said his best, uh, Lucky Jim. They're uh, they're truly uh, a delight to read, and there there's. The sense of humor that uh, that Mark brought to it was not just a matter of the uh, folksy twang of uh, uh, speaking in Henry's voice. In the Lee Youngdahl book, he has an agent who has a broken typewriter, and the broken typewriter cannot produce an F. And with the agent writing to him 
Fless, uh, <laughs> trying to tell him a story and then losing the page that has the punchline, finding it and sending it with some other uh, some other uh, epistle, and uh, it turns out all night long uh, they uh, they fought and fought and they ought and ought and ucked and ucked. Wow, would would you call Mark a humorist? I would uh, I would call him a humorist if uh, if uh, if humorists are under discussion, but I think the humor is far more uh, part of the extraordinary style that makes Mark Mark. I suspect many of the people listening will be familiar with "Bang the Drum Slowly," and there's such humor in that book, and there's such tragedy in that book. And it seems like that's a common denominator throughout much of Mark's writing. Yeah, Mark, Mark distrusted happy endings, uh, heroes and villains, anything, anything that was uh, without shades. Uh, he, uh, he, would, he would even criticize his own work where he thought he had, uh, he had allowed it to become too easy for his main character. He went through a phase of, uh, of lamenting that the Southpaw gives Henry everything he wants too easily. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had to convince him, and I think I did a pretty good job of it, that, that no, he hadn't, and he had set up Bang the Drum slowly. But he certainly veered always towards ambivalence and uh, the uh, investigation of failures and dealing with them. Sometimes you could turn them into successes, but he was a he was a great portrayer of anxiety and coping with failure. Yes, you, you I, that that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about this idea that baseball is about learning to cope with failure. That is central to these books. Well, Mark used to say, uh, "You're never going to hit the ball much more than three times out of ten. Hard as you try, long as you live." Now, with all of this baseball, for people that are not baseball fans, do you think they will enjoy the four Mark Harris, Henry Wigan books? Oh, sure. Despite the fact that these are baseball players, the subject is not baseball. Mm -hmm. The subject is failure, (laughs) death, and how funny it all is. (laughs) Truly a unique experience. You come away realizing that you've met somebody who has his own particular take on the process of living and dying, and my God, he makes it a rollicking ride. Yes, he does. And leading up to those four books, there are two that I want to ask you about specifically, Trumpet to the World and City of Discontent. Ah, Any thoughts on those two? Sure. Well, as a matter of fact, this was another thing that Mark and I shared. We both began our careers as a a poor young black man. (laughs) In Mark's case, he he was so appalled by the the racism of the segregated army Mm -hmm. that he was inclined to join the Communist Party for about 10 minutes. He was inclined to quit the army. And, uh, and ultimately, he was inclined to write uh, the, the book in which he is Willie Jim, a, uh, a, a brilliant but angry young black man who marries a white woman and experiences, <laughs> amazingly enough, prejudice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a young man's book. It's to be read as a footnote to his others. But imagine the, uh, the chutzpah of, uh, of, of, of 
transforming yourself into uh, what was not really considered the province of a young Jewish writer. Mm-hmm. In, in my case, it was slightly different. I, I published a poem when I was 17 in Evergreen Review, which I was very happy about. And mm-hmm. They called me up and said, come on down and have your picture taken. When I came down, they said, oh, my God, you can't have your picture taken. And I said, why not? They said, you're white. Wow. So I knew that going in. They said, but your, your, your poem, it's so, it's, a, it's so angry and black. I said, oh, I see what you mean. I take your meaning. And then I said, here's what you do. Print the negative. <laughs> and what, what about his interest in uh, Vachel Lindsay, the subject of City of Discontent? Well, you know, Vachel Lindsay is full of sound effects and uh, banging and, and, uh, and Johnny Apple seeding culture and poetry across the country. And that, that appealed to Mark as a young writer. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem was he had no idea why Lindsay killed himself. Mm. And so what he did was he worked up a certain amount of steam and he plowed through it. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say, what do you mean you plowed through? He said, well, basically I faked it. <laughs> but he did become an expert on Lindsay and, and published on Lindsay after that. Well, it does seem like they shared, uh, I guess, maybe a common world view or a view of making the world better. Yeah. Yes. And that's, again, that's a young man's book. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, pretty much right after that, Mark retreated, reculé premier sauté, you know, the fallback for a fring of uncommon magnitude, as Dickens says, and entered his uh, ambivalent phase, mm-hmm. slowly at first, and then and then more and more it, it took over the work. And, and the work became funnier the more ambivalence went into it. You have written that we can boast of no American writer more talented than Mark Harris. Why do you think he does not get the attention of other famous American writers? Well, I can actually give you a couple of answers to that. Uh, uh, first of all, if you if you go through the bookshelves, uh, uh, as I used to do before I knew Mark, I would, I would just see, is there something else by this guy, Mark Harris? And after a while another Mark Harris began to appear, and a Mark Harrison began to appear. So there is a certain confusion. <laughs> there are two actors named Paul Rudd. That doesn't usually happen because your, your, uh, your acting union won't let somebody else take the name. There's a certain amount of confusion that enters into it there. And then there's the element of Mark's Jewishness, which nobody quite got a handle on. He would complain that even his best friends would, would say, oh, that, uh, that mixed marriage of yours. Yeah. No, Mark and Joe were both Jewish, but Harris is one of those names, like Miller, where it doesn't scream Jewish, but a lot of people are named Harris and Miller who are Jewish. And so he wasn't welcomed automatically into the fraternity of post-war Jewish writers. Mm. Um, and so he didn't take his place, I think, more with Philip Roth, who was a humorist as well, and a great one, uh, more so than with Saul Bellow, whom he, uh, he, I think, probably mistakenly idolized. I used to say to him, Mark, I, I take your point, but you're Mark Harris. <laughs> you know, why, why, are you, why are you deferring to Saul Bellow? Mm-hmm. He's Saul Bellow, you're Mark Harris. Well, hopefully we've 
cleared up some confusion for some people and given people more of an idea of why they should seek out not only the Henry Wiggin books, but all of Mark's other wonderful writing, the books, the short stories. And John, I want to thank you so much for joining me here on Where Have You Gone, Mark Harris. My my very great pleasure. Anything I can do to to boost the the reputation of Mark and uh, and the enjoyment of anybody who gets to read him. If you've been paying close attention, and there may be a quiz later, you noticed that I asked. John Sergal, how he met Mark Harris, and John started talking about something about a soldier, and he never did answer the question. But he was paying attention, and he realized that he had not answered the question, and he subsequently did so in an email to me. He wrote, I became obsessed with adapting something about a soldier to the screen, and that's when I contacted Mark and he asked me to come visit him in Tempe. It's kind of a funny story, too. Joe Harris put me through a bit of an inquisition. She asked me what I thought of Sal Bellow, Drumlin Woodchuck. I gave her pretty much the answer I gave you. Then she asked me which was my least favorite of Mark's books. I hemmed and hawed and twisted slowly in the desert wind, but finally blurted out, I guess the goy. That's right, said Joe as if i just solved the Daily Double, that miserable philanderer Westrom. And Mark simply said, Saul Bellow hated that title, and apparently I'd passed the test. And he had and began a friendship with Mark Harris that lasted until Mark's death in 2007. Do you have an idea for an episode of Where Have You Gone? A person, place, or thing gone but not forgotten, or forgotten but not gone, with a connection to the mid-20th century? If you do, let us know. Connect with us on Facebook at Where Have You Gone Podcast, or on Twitter at WHYG Podcast. And now, back to the show. A starting point for the non-baseball writing of Mark Harris is 1944, when he began writing the novel Trumpet to the World. His second novel was City of Discontent, in Mark Harris by Norman Lavers, part of the Twain's United Authors series. Lavers says the first two novels display a certain amount of greenness. Trumpet to the World, published in 1946, is now available from the University of Nebraska Press. It describes the work as a landmark novel, rare for its profound rendering of a black man's experience in Jim Crow America, and prophetic of the social changes to come in the next decade. How did Mark Harris, a white northerner, come to write a story of a black man in Jim Crow America? It began when he went south to serve in the army in 1943, and saw firsthand the mistreatment of black Americans. He joined the NAACP, he moved to St. Louis, 
when the Brooklyn Dodgers signed Jackie Robinson to play the 1946 season at its Montreal Farm Club, Harris wrote the short story, Jackie Robinson and My Sister. According to his preface in Diamond, he carried it to the editor of a St. Louis magazine called Flashes of Negro Life, and he was paid $10. That's some of the background leading to Trumpet to the World. City of Discontent seems more up Harris's alley. This quote from the dust jacket of the 1990 reprint of the book by Second Chance Press, Sag Harbor, New York, may make clearer my feeling for the work of Mark Harris. Vachel, rhyme his name with Rachel, not Satchel, had the idea of remaking the little capital of Illinois in the image of utopian models drawn from myth and lore and from his own unfettered democratic imagination. Not everyone in town cared for that kind of discussion. Some people thought Vachel should just get a job and shut up. Lindsay's vision of the decent national life of peace, plenty, and serenity seemed to many hard realists of his era the cuckoo dream of a boy who never grew up. But in our age of devastation and plundering of the environment, we know that Vachel told it as it was, as much for our time as for his own, unquote. Harris wrote numerous novels over the next years, including Something About a Soldier, Wake Up Stupid, The Goy, Killing Everybody, Living in Bed, Speed, and The Tailmaker. He also wrote four works of autobiographical nonfiction Mark the Glove Boy, 21 Twice, Best Father Ever Invented, and Saul Bellow, Drumlin Woodchuck. The last title might look like a biography of Bellow, but it's not. It's an account of Harris not getting Bellow's cooperation for a biography. Drumlin Woodchuck is a reference to a Robert Frost poem from 1936. A drumlin is an elongated hill in the shape of an inverted spoon or half-buried egg. Harris used the failed attempt at a biography of Bellow to take an introspective look at himself and his goals. Besides the four autobiographical nonfiction books, Harris tells much about himself in the introduction to Diamond, the collection of his fiction and nonfiction baseball writing. He talks about his youth in the late 1930s in grade school and this kind of tug of war between himself and the authority figures at the school, principal, teachers. He says at one point that he was said to be the bad boy of the school and destined to not make the most of himself. He wanted to be a baseball player, a baseball star, much more so than a writer. And yet he talks about baseball players envying him later on for his stability as by that time a tenured professor and somebody who could write for a living at a time when it is not practical for a baseball career to continue, if nothing else, because of age. There's a point he makes here, and again, this is going back to the mid-1990s. He says, baseball makes no sense, and he concludes the paragraph, it has gone mad with statistics, rumor, dispute, and money. The work of 
Mark Harris is now finite. And yet, just as a finite season of the past, 1960, 1951, 1975, can continue to give us enjoyment today, so the work of Mark Harris is still able to bring us enjoyment today. Most prominently for Mark Harris, the book, the teleplay, the film, and the audio production of Bang the Drum Slowly are all available. University of Nebraska Press and or its Bison Books imprint has at least seven of Harris's novels, including all four baseball novels, plus Speed, The Tailmaker, Trumpet to the World, and the collection the self-made brain surgeon, and other stories. If you want to dig deeper, the Mark Harris papers from 1937 to 1982 are housed at the University of Delaware Library. Mark Harris died on May 30, 2007 in Santa Barbara, California from complications of Alzheimer's disease. Much of the obituary written by Frank Litsky in the New York Times focuses on Harris's baseball writing. He also quotes Donald Hall's review of It Looked Like Forever from the New York Times book review. Hall wrote, Writing like Harris's helps us to understand, even to withstand, disaster, Vietnam, the meaningless death of the young, an enlarged prostate gland, and in an earlier work of art, Mudville's Casey. Dennis McClellan's obituary for Harris in the Los Angeles Times quoted Harris's son Henry as saying, I think he expressed his pacifism in a uniquely dark way through a novel called Killing Everybody in 1973, which was about the suffering of parents who had lost a child in a war. Pacifist, a chronicler of disappointment, a deep affection for people, compassionate, a writer of true comedy, a writer of intelligence and integrity, concern with racial discrimination, dislike for authority. These are some of the words and phrases used to describe Mark Harris and his work. It appeals to me, and I hope it will appeal to you. Thanks again to John Sergal for joining us and providing his insights into the life and career of Mark Harris. I'm Morris Eckhouse, host of Where Have You Gone? Our music was composed and performed by Harry Richardson. Our logo was designed by Jeff Santala. Thanks to Alan Feniger, Bruce Bonner, Mark Presser, Greg Brown, and Carl Mastercola. The Where Have You Gone podcast is produced by Alan Eckhouse. Where Have You Gone is a production of The Morwen Company, 